Reading Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 to 27. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned amongst the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before your eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, uh, from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. We turn to Matthew 15. Uh, which is where we are in our series of Matthew. And we're looking at verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honour your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother will surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother... What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honour his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honours me with their lips, but the heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And Jesus called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Jesus answered, Every plant that my father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, murder, uh, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Now, if you just flick back two pages in your Bible, uh, to chapter 5, sorry, it's probably a few more than two pages. Chapter 5, verse 8. Just one verse. It says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Back to chapter 15. We've been uh, asking this question. It's kind of hanging over from the end of chapter... The whole of chapter 14, really. Um, And it's this question. Are you blind, spiritually blind, or are you beginning to see? Are you spiritually blind, or are you beginning to see? Now, you know that we've seen Herod's spiritual blindness. 
He wasn't willing to give up on a, a, a wrong relationship, the sin in his life. So even though he heard about Jesus and saw his mighty works, nothing changed. Uh, we saw Jesus' hometown, who had that really great question, where does this man get this power? But they didn't do anything about it. And that's because they were too familiar with Jesus. They thought they already knew him anyway. Uh, they had nothing to learn. So that was spiritual blindness. And today, here, Matthew is going to show us that religious observance is also spiritual blindness. Re- religious observance is, can also be spiritual blindness. This mixed response to Jesus, it doesn't look like it's going that well, does it? I mean, we saw the disciples last week and they seemed to be uh, trusting who Jesus was and asking him to save, save them. But it's actually a mixed response, isn't it? And that's what Jesus has been telling us about in chapter 13. So we had the parable of the sower, the seed going out. It's a mixed response to Jesus and his teaching. And uh, Jesus said in that chapter that opposition will come. So he talked about followers, uh, the sons of the kingdom rising up, but next to them, the sons of the evil one. Opposition to Jesus will be right on its tail. And it will be there all, all the way through. And Jesus said that it will be until a day when it was uprooted. So the Father in heaven will come and harvest and he will uproot the evil ones. And, and that will be that. Um, opposition to Jesus, which is, is spiritual blindness, is the feature in this passage. Jesus calls them blind guides. Uh, let's look at what they come to Jesus to ask him. It's another question, much like the hometown But let's look at their question in verse 1, verse 2. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. We're going to see that the blindness of hypocrisy um, and its example, the example that's given is the Pharisees and and the scribes, uh, but, but we're going to see that it's a problem even today. You see, these guys are instructing and guiding other people, uh, but they themselves are blind. They're the blind guide. Have you ever heard that expression? The blind leading the blind? Well, funny enough, it's in the Bible. Jesus said it first. Um, They are themselves blind to who Jesus is. They think they can see things clearly, but they can't. There must be any number of dangers, I was thinking of this, uh, to walking around thinking you can see things but but actually being blind i mean if you just wore a blindfold for a day uh, you'd come back to me after a few hours with bits of your head missing and you know having bumped into things or maybe you wouldn't even come back uh, because it was it's so dangerous it's apart from the personal danger though i reckon it's actually a huge danger to everyone else okay uh, that's why eye tests are mandatory if you're going to be an, uh, an aircraft pilot. You're just not going to, they're not going to let you in a plane without knowing. It's not enough just to say, yeah, my vision's good. Um, you know, they're not going to let you in the plane until they've done an eye test to check. Uh, because it's a huge danger, you're a danger to everybody else. And yet here are some high up Jewish leaders. Uh, they're very religious people. They've been uh, in, in the synagogue their whole lives. And they're blind. Blind to who Jesus is. Blind to the fact that he fulfills everything in the scriptures in the Old Testament. They haven't really seen that he's God. He isn't, they haven't seen that he's the Messiah, the one who came to rescue them. 
And a feature of their blindness, which is what we see in their question, is um, that their traditions have been elevated to the status of God's word. So we see that, don't we? They say, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? And we'll see what they mean by that. Their their traditions have been elevated to the status of God's word. Well, tradition, you could call tradition the way we do things around here. Okay? So this is not traditional for Beckentry Church. This is untraditional for Beckentry Church. We're usually facing there, and we're usually, you know, all in the line. You know, the way we do things around here. And the Jerusalem envoy have come... And they express their disapproval at the conduct of Jesus and his disciples over hand-washing before meals. God's command only required priests to wash before their service in the temple. Nowhere was it applied to every Israelite and every meal. But after many years, this wise practice had become part of the furniture. The way we do things around here. From their own mouth, in verse 2, it's the traditions of the elders. Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? Jesus' issue here isn't with all traditions. His issue is with them. Because their attitudes and their observance of their own traditions is showing their hardness of heart and their hypocrisy. So Jesus doesn't decry the activity itself. Go for your life. Wash your hands as many times as you want. It's not bad to do that. But he does take issue with what it reveals about their hearts. They claim by their religious activity that they were honouring God. But their hearts, if you look at verse 8, is really the the nub of it. They honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus says there's a big difference between what you say and what you want others to, to see of you and what is going on in your heart. And I don't know about you, but that's a big problem for me as well. Big difference between what I want people to see of me and what's actually going on in my heart. He just calls it out, hypocrisy. Um, And he shows actually that even though they're concerned about this one little thing that they think is the authority of God, what God has commanded, they actually completely neglect one of the Ten Commandments, honouring their father and mother. And what's more... They have a workaround for not obeying that command because they say, oh, well, we can obey another one, which gets us off having to give our money to our mum and dad. So they had their own traditions to say, oh, you can give your money, you can pledge your money to the temple so you don't have to pay for your mum and dad's retirement home. That would be, that'd be nice, wouldn't it, not having to do that. But it's just, it's, it's unloving. They don't care about their parents. They're not honouring their parents by doing that. So Jesus calls them out. He says... You come with your traditions and you you think you're the ones who are instructing everyone else. Actually, you're not. Your hearts are far from God. Um, There's this interesting myth, this legend. uh, Is anyone from Bristol? No? Anyone been to Bristol? Okay, so I could pass it off with you guys. It'll be fine. Um, But the myth is that um, there's this guy who's been in the car park for the zoo uh, for 25 years. And... um, he, make, he goes around and just takes, you know, pound here, pound there, five pound for a lorry or a coach, you know, collects the, the money for the parking. Um, at the point, 25 years, where he actually wanted to stop, uh, the council then said, 
uh, they said, oh, well, that guy's not around. You know, what should we do? Should we ask the council for another one? The zoo asked the council, and the council said, we don't have a car parking attendant. attendant. The guy doesn't work for the zoo. The guy doesn't work for the, for, the, for the council. He's just a bloke who's getting some money off everyone. And I guess, during that time, he hasn't parked his car in the car park, has he? His, his own car is safely where it's free. He's not going to charge himself to be in the car park. You know, and, you know, and he's just getting away with it. And, and yet, Jesus calls these guys out because that is exactly what they're, do, what they're doing. They're claiming the authority of God's law, but they themselves are lawless. They're the lawbreaker. And Jesus says, no, the authority is mine, and you're opposing God and his law. You're a sham, you're a fraud. Um, and he's calling them out on it. Thinking themselves to be God's officiators, they fraudulently pass off their own wisdom under his authority. That's what they're doing. We're, God's, we're, we're the ones who instruct on God's law here. And yet themselves are the lawbreakers. They are lawless rebels. They're not on the side of the law. They are lawless rebels. Let's call it blind tradition. The coming together of human wisdom and spiritual blindness. And it's very common. Because we think this is the thing that God wants us to do. Or this is the life that you know, we expect. And yet God's word says otherwise. And God himself is not pleased. They are blind guides. They cannot rightly detect sin, which is what they're claiming to be able to do, because they cannot detect their own sin. <laughs> you see? How can they detect the sin of others if they can't rightly detect their own sin? That's why Jesus doesn't mince his words here. And actually, if you look down at that, uh, verse 7 to 9, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I think Jesus doesn't mince his words because he must oppose and expose all pseudo-authority. Because if he doesn't, it will lead others away from him. You see, the blind leading the blind, where do they all end up? In the pit. So they, they will be successful at leading others away from the truth. And in verse 11, Jesus will bypass their teaching directly and speak directly to the crowds who are there. In verse 11. A few verses later, um, in verse uh, 16 to, to 20, he'll warn the disciples to leave them well alone. Don't go near these guys. And that's because hypocritical religious teaching which is possible for in any, anywhere. Hypo, hypocritical religious teaching spreads far quicker than coronavirus. And it claims more casualties. People don't just go to their deaths, but they face the judgment of God. In verse uh, 13, Jesus' prognosis um, is, all those the Heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. That's a direct reference to what Jesus has said in chapter 13 which is about those, the weeds. They're going to be uprooted. And what happens to the weeds? They get thrown in the fire. They go to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so it spreads far quicker and it claims more casualties. 
So that's why he doesn't mince his words, because he doesn't want people to be caught up in this web of lies and actually to go to judgment. So that's why in chapter 16, Jesus will repeat the need for social distancing. Uh, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, he'll say. Yeast spreads. They think he's talking about bread, but he's talking about their teaching. And, and that's because additional requirements largely go unnoticed. So, ha- okay, who's played Spot the Difference? Yes. Well done, thank you, Ava. First one up, first hand up. Uh, get, tell me if I've got this right. Spot the Difference, you have one page, one, one picture, and you have, so that's the, the first one, the real one, and then you have another picture, or the, the next one they show you, and what, what's different? Yeah, that's the right rules. And, and it's usually something that's missing, right? So you spot what's missing. And, uh, and maybe even something that's changed. So you had a blue t-shirt and then it's changed to green. Is that right? It's, a, it's easy to notice something that's been taken away or changed about the truth. You've got the true one. If something's missing or something's changed, well, you notice it. That's why kids play that game. It's not hard to see. There were three shoes, now there's two. There was a blue t-shirt, now it's green. But add something into the picture, and that's, that's easier to go unnoticed, isn't it? That means you have to have noticed everything in the first picture. Or else to notice that there's something new in the second picture. It's a lot harder to notice. And actually, this is what they've done. They've added to God's word. Um, and, and, and when we add to the truth of God's word, it's, it's really quite hard to notice that. And actually this legalism, this, this new requirement that they've imposed on people is quite hard to notice. And when we add our own traditions to what it means to be a Christian, to live the Christian life, we won't notice it at first. And before long, it's going to be the, the, the chair in the room that we just didn't realise we've added to the room because it's just always been there. And then it will be on the same level of authority as God's word because we say, that's, you know, that's, that's what God commands. And that's wrong. Um, so, so spot the difference. Uh, it's a lot harder to spot the difference uh, when you add something to it. Um, where am I now? Okay, um, we're on that second point, uh, which is uh, we are all clean, unclean from the inside out. Um, so let's get to that point now. Uh, sorry, uh, Jesus' true diagnosis, and we see that in verses 10 to 21. So we've had the, the guys who are blind and hypocrites, and it, we, it shows, doesn't it, that when we think we're in the know and we're not, that could be really dangerous. Um, and when we're lawbreakers, and yet we think we're, the law commends us, that can be really bad as well. But now Jesus is going to show us. He is the, the true doctor. They're the, they're the sham guys. They, can't, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, but he is the true doctor. And his diagnosis is in verses 10 to 21. Uh, so let's read that now. Verse 10 to 21. And Jesus called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. 
Hear and understand it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So the true doctor sees the symptoms. He spots the symptoms. He knows what to look for. And the symptoms are not what you've been putting in to your body. It's actually what comes out through your mouth. It's what you say that shows what's really going on. And so the symptoms are actually our words. Jesus says that, doesn't he? uh, uh, Later on in verse 19 and 20, he says, Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Our words, whether the overflow of our hearts, they must be. I've picked up a growing trend on social media. I don't know if you've picked this up as well. Uh, sorry if you haven't. It might sound boring. Uh, I noticed that actually brought on by the scrutiny people have of what people have said in the past and all of the ghosts are getting pulled out of the closet, skeletons in the closet, and you said this back in the day, many people are actually trying to retract past words and comments and attempt to distance themselves from what is seemed offensive nowadays. Okay? They want to distance themselves from what they themselves said. And I read one such defence, the reason why someone came off social media, I think, which even said, those comments are not representative of me. Huh? <laughs> those comments are not representative of me. But, but, but sorry, you, you said those things. I just can't get my head around it. And, and so our words are representative of us. They give a window into our hearts. And whether they're passwords, whether they're words when we're caught unawares, uh, or when we're not really putting on the best version of ourselves, they're a window into our hearts. And that's Jesus' point entirely. If you want to see what, you're, what you really are, look at what you say. And Jesus says that we're all unclean from the inside out. We have evil hearts. And it's seen in the fact that our words, whether they contain evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, which is blasphemy, so it's words about God as well. Jesus says our words show the real problem. Our hearts are evil. It's the most credible explanation, isn't it? Both for the evil that's around and that we see everywhere else and the war that rages on inside of me. Each day. I'm daily facing my selfishness and my ability to hurt others with what I say. And yet I'm also faced with my powerlessness to change that at all. And actually any temporary success I have in being more loving and kind, well, that just results in me being more proud and more judgmental of other people. It's so obvious, isn't it? The problem with the world, the problem with everyone else, the problem with me is an evil heart. Our hearts are evil. And yet it's so obvious, but Jesus is the only one saying it. Get every other explanation for the evil in our world, the evil in, our, in, in the world around us. Get every other explanation, but Jesus is the only one saying this. The problem is our hearts. We are in, unclean from the inside out. Someone said this, the heart of the problem is the human heart. Perhaps the catchphrase of this generation is, nobody's perfect. You might have heard people say that. Which couldn't be more true. Nobody's perfect. And yet, what do we use that for? Well, we use it to dodge the issue entirely. 
If we just let our words alone teach us the depths of evil our hearts are capable of, well, we might take it more seriously. In my pride, I want to believe that there is still something good about me. I shift the focus away from the reaction to what provoked my reaction. And every other explanation just boils down to an unwillingness to accept that I am the cause. And like the Pharisees, we too are spiritually blind if we think that our behaviour on the outside can fix our hearts and make us right in the eyes of God. It can't. And it won't. Um, this week was this weekend. Was it this weekend? Oh, what, what, what day were you over? Tuesday. Okay, okay, we'll go with Tuesday. Um, uh, Bethan's daughter Hannah. It was later in the week. It was Friday, yeah. Um, the two of them were there. Why were you there? Why are you telling her? Um, they came over, and we'd had some kids uh, throughout this week for Eddie's birthday, so we sort of staggered it a bit, a bit on each day, so that he wasn't overwhelmed. By the time we got to Friday, he was, yeah, less than well behaved. Um, he pushed Han, her baby Hannah and he hit her on the head with various different objects. And Hannah sends him up to me in the office, and, um, and I didn't know what had happened. I think she might have shouted up, Eddie's been naughty. He comes up the stairs, comes into my office. He. What he looks like is he's got, he's got mud around his face and he's got mud in his hands. And I'm like, what have you been up to? I mean, like, he does like playing with the mud, but it's obviously become something he's putting in. And I could have just gone, Eddie, you know what the problem is. You know, you're unclean. I need to get the baby wipe out, send him off. That's just the same as saying we can do some religious observance. We can... Do something on the outside that looks good to other people and, and it would be fine. The truth is, he was a rotter. He's got evil in his heart. And he'd, he'd been unkind and unloving. And he'd, he'd lashed out. And if I'd just done that, it would have been completely the opposite of this. I'm preparing on Matthew 15 and he walks in and he's got mud on his face. And I could just use the baby wipe and send him off. Or I need to speak to him. Eddie, we need to pray for a new heart. We need to ask Jesus for a new heart. Um, or else we're not going to change. Jesus didn't dodge the issue. He says it like it is. The heart of the problem is the human heart. Our hearts are evil. So what we need then is new hearts. It's so obvious that that's the cause. But what we need is new hearts. And that was that reading we had in Ezekiel 36, uh, verses 22 to 27. New hearts are what the prophets always spoke about. Here, uh, the prophet Ezekiel was speaking to Israel about their stubbornness, their hard-heartedness. And he says, God's going to do this for his name to be glorified among the nations. He is going to give you a new heart and a new spirit he will put within you. He will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What does this... uh, So God is going to do something and he knows what we need. And Jesus is the one who can give us a new heart. He can put his... He can change us 
such that we have his spirit living within us. That we're cleansed from all our unrighteousness, all our sin. And the power is no longer us to live the way that God has told us to. And the way that delights in him and delights in his law. It's actually the power is in him living through us to do that. Uh, just while we're there, let's look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 from verse 9 through to 11. Uh, would someone mind reading that for us? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. God can give people new hearts. It's what he's always promised, and it's what it says makes all the difference. You are washed, you are sanctified by the Spirit of our God. Well, what does this mean for us? Well, we asked that question, didn't we? Are we still blind? Or are we beginning to see who Jesus is, clearly? And I think if we're seeing clearly, there'll be a growing awareness of our sin, that we are evil, and that we desperately need a new heart. I think if we're still blind, there can be plenty of Bible and knowledge but it would just make us more proud and more unloving. It struck me that even, even the law of God, when planted in a heart that's unchanged, full of self-righteousness, is just going to bear all other kinds of fruit. If we're still blind, it will make us just more proud and more unloving. We can use the word of God and say that we're better than everyone else. If you're wondering what it would mean to follow Jesus, well, to put it bluntly, in Jesus' says it would take... Him giving you a new heart. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that you can do. It would take him giving a new heart. And it would, be, it would show, because you take seriously what Jesus says about the evil in your heart, shown in your words. Nobody's perfect, but that's not okay. And if you want to think this through, why not listen back to session three of Same Again, uh, which Sam uh, did and tackled that question. Of evil, He looked at Romans uh, chapter 3, so why not look at that on our website? It would look like coming to Jesus for the new heart that only he can offer. Listen up, because every other person will direct you to external change. Every other ideology and religion and person will direct you to external change, rather than the internal change. It will feel more constructive in the short term. Because it's something you can do for yourself. But that would be like letting a blind person be your guide. You'll end up unchanged and you'll still face God's judgment. Jesus alone can point you to your real need. You may think you're too far from God for that to happen. Uh, Let me encourage you uh, in Matthew 15 from the very next person who Jesus meets in verse 21. 
It says, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. These are Israel's enemies. And behold, a Canaanite. Canaan. They were shockers, weren't they? A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And by the end, Jesus says, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. There really is no, no one who is outside or that Jesus can't save, that he is unable to save. Uh, if you know the Bible very well and teach it to others, it's quite striking, isn't it, that this is written about people who knew the Bible very well and taught it to others. And there will be some people who are blind and don't realise they are. Uh, and it will be seen in how they approach the Bible and how we come to read the Bible. So we stop asking God to expose our hearts when we come to church on Sundays or when we read our Bible through the week. But only to help us to understand a bit more about the Bible. We don't ask him to expose our, our hearts and our own hearts, but we just want to know a bit more Bible. That's not the same thing. And actually... We can play down our own sin or not see it in the first place. We might even use God's word carefully picked as a workaround for what we think uh, and want to do. We'll come to God's word expecting it to merely affirm us in our thinking. We'll jump from what it actually says to what we think it means. And it might actually be that everything we think being a Christian involves is actually our own idea, not his. We have to be open to that. Um, there'll be disapproval of other people, plenty of that, but we won't see our own sin. Or, when we do, we'll make excuses for it. We'll be absolutely certain we're in the right, and we'll respond badly when others suggest we're in the wrong. And there'll be no genuine, genuine love for God and others, which is the essence of God's law. Jesus says it's summed up in love your neighbour as yourself. And love God. If that's true of us, what we need is not more knowledge or religious activity. That would be to plough our energy into what Jesus says is in vain, doesn't he? He says in verse 9, in vain do they worship me, teach. In vain. You're wasting your time. No, we need a new heart. And until that happens, nothing but hardening and hypocrisy will take place even when we come to God's word. We need him to give us a new heart by his spirit, and only he can do that. So maybe you're a Christian, and that new heart has been given to you, and you now receive and live out God's law, not because you have the power to do so, but because he lives in you by his spirit. You can find delight in God's law and delight in him, not because you're earning his favour, but because you have it already. And I think it's true that Matthew's readers were those who started to follow Jesus and had received the Holy Spirit. His concern for them was that of Jesus and his disciples. They'd face pressure to submit to the authority of the religious establishment and their practice, their way of doing things around here. And so he doesn't want them to be unaware of that danger. He wants to protect them, to defend them from any of that teaching leading them away. Let's have a moment now just to think and to pray. And then I'll pray from here. And then we'll open up to questions.